to the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Michelle Redfern. In this first season, not just a statistic, I'm bringing you the stories of women in sport from career start to the boardroom. Every episode is with an amazing woman from a range of different sports and a range of different positions in sport. And every episode is going to give you some actionable insights as a sports fan, as a member, as an administrator, as a leader to take action on how to close the leadership gender gap in sport. I hope you enjoy the episode. The Advancing Women in Sport podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wadawurrung, Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past and present, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the culture and the hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across this nation. We also pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Tamitha Harding is Head of Tennis Delivery and Culture at Tennis Victoria and is on the Board of Women's Sport Australia. She is also a consultant in strategy and project planning with more than 20 years of experience in the sports industry to inform programming, development and strategic projects for sporting and non-sporting organisations. In her time with Tennis Victoria, Tamitha has worked in a variety of roles including Inclusion Lead, Project Leader of Female Participation, Special Projects Lead, Executive Manager of Community Tennis and Interim CEO. From 2017 to 2021, Tamitha sat on the Darabin Women's Advisory Committee, helping to advise council on gendered issues and barriers to equality for women of diverse backgrounds. From 20 2008 to 2012, Tamitha was a member of the Women's Sport Advisory Group, which was set up by Vic Sport and Sport Recreation Victoria to represent women in sport and to increase female participation. In our conversation, Tam calls upon leaders to involve women in conversations, particularly when it comes to their future within that organisation. She asks us never to assume, instead ask questions, but be prepared to listen. In doing so, leaders show themselves to be allies to women, demonstrating a genuine want for women to succeed in the industry. Isn't that what we all want? I hope you enjoy the episode. Tam, lovely to have you here and I'm looking forward to exploring more about your career in sport and all of the things that you've navigated. So welcome to Advancing Women in Sport. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be able to have a chat. Well, let's start off with whilst we've heard about your bio, let's talk about your career in sport. First of all, let's you talk about your career in sport. Chronologically, what when you think back over your career, well, first of all, why did you get into sport as a, as a career? My mother is a phys ed teacher. We were always very active as kids, but I also saw what it was to be a teacher and I, decided, I realised I didn't want to be a teacher per se, but I still love the whole sport side of things. I was an avid tennis player myself growing up. That was my sport of choice, but I was also that person who was in every single team all the way through school. And I do remember knowing, obviously, back when I was going through university, there were very few choices around degrees. It was pretty much a human movement or a phys ed degree. There was none of the sports science or the sports coaching or sports management degrees back then. And so I decided after seeing Anne Quinn in particular, who obviously was Pat Cash's physio and trainer, listening to her about her career and about starting off with a base before you specialise. So that really sort of inspired me to say, yeah, okay, I'm going to do human movement as opposed to the phys ed because I knew from mum that that wasn't the case. <laughs> and so from there it was really just um, a combination of the opportunities, you know, the work experience placements, et cetera, and, and navigating your way through that, but also to obviously tennis being my sport and my passion. So I was coaching, doing those sorts of things. And then out of uni I was 
going to stay on and do my honours, but I took a year off to do some, raise some funds, I suppose, to then make sure that I could continue being a full-time uni student. But during that time, got my first full-time role in managing a racket and fitness centre. And from there decided, okay, now I do this side of things, this management part. So didn't go back to do my honours and took on that role, then moved into a YMCA, into the aquatics field, where you're a bit of a jack of all trades, master of none. You do everything from reception to lifeguarding, to swim teaching, to duty managing. So did that for a while and then got my first role at, at Tennis Fit in membership as their membership coordinator. Quickly within that, moved into the membership manager role. The organisation was continuing to grow. We had a new CEO at the time, Ian Clark, came in and first created what is now the executive. And yeah, that was my first opportunity at being in rather than quite a flat management structure where there were, I think, 10 managers reporting to the CEO. We actually started to be a bit more tiered. So that was probably my first foray into teams management rather than just people management. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, I was in that role as executive manager of community tennis. So looking after all all things participation, club development, their marketing as well, and facility development. And then when the CEO at that time left to move on, I was actually appointed as the acting CEO then as well. So for a period of four to five months, I had been acting CEO at different times, obviously during leave, but at that point in time, I was actually given that opportunity to to lead the organisation for a period of time. Then uh, I actually applied for that role and didn't get it, which is what it is. And then continued on in my executive manager role within community tennis. A few things changed. Then my son came along, Thomas. So had a career break there. That was probably after 13 years at the organization. And for me, that was probably a really good time as well. I needed that break anyway. And then of course, having children also changes your perspective on things and what is and perhaps isn't important. And then I was able to come back to the organisation after a 12-month leave in a special projects role, which was a part-time role. I wasn't interested in coming back full-time in my other position, Mm -hmm. but they were able to make a role for me in there. Special projects turned into receiving funding through government, for uh, sorry, actually through Vic Health, it was at the time, to run a program. That meant we were able to hire staff, we were able to work through that. That then led to more work in the women and girls space, which has now then evolved into the inclusion space, which I really have that passion for, as you and I talk about on lots of occasions. (laughs) Yes. And I think the thing for me in that perspective is trying to move away from being very programmatic about how we deal or how we work and try to make diversity inclusion happen and becoming more systemic about it. So actually looking at our systems and structures as opposed to creating programs, which are still required because you need that entry point. But what is their path past that? What are their pathways? How can we engage it? engage the communities better and really make sure that they're getting what they want out of the sport, not what we just think they would like to get out of the sport. So I've really loved that that piece. So that took me from two days a week to three days a week. And then more recently, when our CEO departed, there was a bit of shuffling, obviously, of the organisation. So that Adam, who was the head of tennis delivery and culture, has been appointed into the acting role of the CEO. And he asked me then to step into that head of tennis culture and delivery role, which essentially was the role that I had before I went on maternity leave. So as I said, come full full circle. Full circle, Um, yeah. yeah. (laughs) 
full circle. So I made the decision and it was my decision, which was was great. And Adam was really good around it. He said, look, you tell me how you can make it work. I want you to work in this role for this 12 months. I said, yep, I'm happy to do an extra day. It works for us. It works where I'm at my career. It still gives me my opportunity to do the other things that I do outside of my tennis thing, which, as you know, I sit on the board of Women's Sport Australia. So I want to spend had the time to be able to do those other things that are still part of my passion piece. Obviously, I work closely with Carol Fox as well in some of the work that she does. So for me, it was really important to have that balance as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's made me more well-rounded and brings different things to the organisation as well. So, yeah, yeah, that's sort of my career so far. <laughs> and there are, there are a number of themes that I, I want to explore as as you talk us through your career trajectory to date. Yes. And, so I, and I'll just summarise them now, but then let's explore them. Number yes. one, one of the things that I think is, and you and I have talked about, which is so important for particularly young people coming through the ranks, is that you were originally inspired by a woman, a role model. And, you know, we often say you can be what you can see. So again, we've got, you've got a, a visible woman who said, and who you saw and went, okay, I could, that's what I could do. So I think that's, that's number one is the importance of women as role models for the, the next generation coming after us. The second one is, that once you had your career break, and I'm going to go back to the, the experience about applying for the CEO's job in a moment, but once mm-hmm. you'd had your career break, your organisation brought you back, it made a role or created space for you to have an integrated life, work and life and parenthood and what have you. So that's mm-hmm. the second one I want to explore because I think it's extraordinarily important for leaders to pay attention to. Flex working which you have been a role model for and a role model for in very senior high impact roles. So not flex work for the entry level, what have you. So you've been you've been flex working for a long, long time as a, a very senior person in Tennis Victoria. And then the whole life integration and the fact that you're able to, because of that space that, that you and your organisation have created, you are able to contribute to other things, particularly in, a, in you know the work that you do with Women Sport Australia, which of course is voluntary and is your commitment to to the cause. The work that you're doing with Carol again is about building capacity in women in in the sporting sector. So, but your organisation is supportive of that. And I think it's another call to action for leaders to say, how do we help people live their best life? Because when they are living their best life, they're actually going to contribute. And also, from your perspective, you're bringing that knowledge and those experiences back into your role at, at tennis. Victoria. So lots of stuff going on in there in your career, Tam. So first one I want to, and very, very positive stuff, but what I am going to do is let's, I want to loop back and explore, and I know it's in days gone by, but we still see stuff happening around when women step up, when women are ambitious and they step up and say, hey, I'm here and I'm applying for the big role. So you applied, put yourself into the process for the big role, the CEO's role, and you'd already executed on that role because you'd acted in it a number of times. You had some experiences and some feelings and some thoughts around that whole process, around perhaps what other people's feelings and thoughts might have been. Can you share with us what those were? Yeah, so I think the the thing was obviously I originally wasn't going to didn't think it was something that I should be putting my hand up for until the the CEO who was leaving said, this is your chance. I'm like, what do you mean? Come on, Mm. let's throw your hat in the ring here. I'm like, oh, okay. So I think first and foremost it was having someone say go for it I don't know whether I would have probably put myself out there if that hadn't have been the case then the process itself I suppose a couple of things because I was in the acting role while I was also applying that 
that's a really interesting dynamic to be part of as well. So you're given the responsibility to lead the organisation, but there's always this bit that you're not really in control because you're still only acting. So so when I would go to meetings in that role, you know, I would have to remind people to, can you please send me that because I wasn't on the CEO's list? Can you please CC me into that? No, I haven't received that email. Can you forward that? So there was a bit of that, that yes, you're in the CEO role, but you're not really the CEO. Yeah, you're um, kind of just, you're warming the seat for, for someone yeah, else. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that wasn't within Tennis Vic. That was probably more in the relationship between us and my counterparts in, in the other states. And then, of course, I didn't get the position and there wasn't really a lot of feedback. Well, there was no constructive feedback from my perspective. There was no, you did not get the job because of X, Y, and Z, and this is how we're going to help you get X, Y, and Z. It was sort of a bit fluffy around the edges. Sorry to interrupt, Tam, but why, why do you think, so, so I've got a theory, but yeah. I want to test it out. So why do you think the feedback was fluffy to you? I don't know whether there was something that, that they really were able to pinpoint it on and say that was it, but it wasn't. It was more about perhaps a feeling or a vibe as opposed to actually a skill issue. I mean, I, I will never know because I wasn't in that process. And obviously the, the, the person who got the role was obviously more than capable and is very good at, at what he does and was, was great for the organisation. So it wasn't, but yeah, it was more about what my feedback was in that and how, okay, so I've missed out, but what can I do? And I didn't feel as though I was able to actually pinpoint that, okay, I need to make sure that yeah. I'm working more with government relationships or, yeah. or whatever. It wasn't so much about what the skills that I didn't have as what someone else they thought could bring mm. to the table. I wonder, you no, know, it absolutely does. And, you know, like you, I'm immersed in, in this sort of stuff every day. And so, so for our leaders listening and thinking, what would I do about that? My number one call to action is please, when people, but particularly women, don't make the grade for a role, a secondment, their performance review, whatever it may be. And when I say don't make the grade, I'm not talking about abject failure. I'm talking about they just no. didn't make it. Yes. Please step in and give them action feedback because you you hit the nail on the head there Tam you said what do I need to do what what what, do, what action do I need to take to get me ready and mm. some of the conversations I hear around well well she's just not ready yet okay so what are we going to do about that number mm-hmm. one she needs to know and she needs to have very very specific feedback and I'm going to be very gender binary here but for the men out there listening and watching right now please don't be frightened to give us feedback we're not going to burst into <laughs> tears we're not going to crumble or fade away or something like that we want it and our, Dr Bridie O'Donnell gave me some terrific feedback yonks ago about feedback she said we need to have the mindset of elite athletes or the coaches of elite athletes elite athletes want to be told every single thing they're not doing right because even if it's the way you hold your fingers when you run the grip on the tennis racket one little thing can give you the edge over other Mm. very very strong competitors so they want that feedback so and i looked and i thought that's perfect we i want all of us to have the mindset of elite so Give the feedback. So I think that's number one, Tam. But also I wonder, were there, and I don't want to lead the witness here, but I, you know, let's face it, I don't know what you said, but it, were there gendered assumptions? Do you believe that there were gendered assumptions? It, it did not happen during the process. There was no, none in, in any of that formal feedback. None of that, I felt that. It was more some of the passing comments 
post it being announced and all that sort of thing. It's like, oh, don't worry, your time will come. You're young because I was young at the, the time. I was in my early thirties. You know, oh, you and your, you and your partner will probably have you know family soon. You don't worry, your time will come. And uh, so when you go, hey, uh-huh. and they weren't necessarily they weren't people necessarily in the process, but it was mm. it was the people around that process. And when you think, okay, well, if people around that process are saying that, wasn't something that was taken into account? And, and when you and I think those sorts of remarks coupled with non-specific feedback. Mm. Yeah. And at the time I didn't really think about it that much but when you get three or four or five little things and it's really more about that whole unconscious and it's not overt it's that unconscious Unconscious. bias and it's that there is no malice in it there is none of that it's when you hear those a few times and you start to think oh okay well if that's what other people are thinking Mm. maybe that is part of the issue but I don't know no of course and and we don't and what you're talking about is that 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 non-malicious stuff is the benevolent bias well you know what we won't do is send Tam to the overseas conference because she's got Thomas at home and who will look after Thomas? You know, in fact, I had another conversation with another woman, Professor Emma Sherry, who said mm-hmm. her and a colleague jumped on a plane to go to a conference you know, some years ago and she was seething because she probably had half a dozen conversations about, so who's looking after your little boy while you're away? And she sat next to her colleague who was male. How many times have you been asked about who's looking after the kids? He said, None. But, and what you've also described, that they're tiny little things that in and of themselves, they're not something to make a big deal about, but they're, you know, these microaggressions or micro disappointments build up over the course of a woman's career. So that, again, I want to be really specific and give actionable insights to leaders. So the feedback here is number one, be specific about feedback, but number two, don't weigh in and make decisions on behalf of a woman because you have a lived experience and an expectation about the role that a woman might play. And so from, so from your perspective, if there was a concern about, well, Tam, yeah, we know we're not supposed to ask you this, but are you going to have babies and what will you do if you do? Let's get it out on the table and, and mm. talk about it. So how can we support you as you bring up Thomas? So for leaders listening, please don't make assumptions. Please give good feedback. But then what, what I want to do now is flip to the positive part of this story, which was, of course, after, and you said after Thomas had come along, you said, I've had a career break. I'm ready to, to work again. How can I make this work? But work did make it work for you, didn't they? That that role was and that space was created for you. Yeah, it, it very much was. And Matthew was was great with that. We had that conversation around. You know, there were some changes happening at, within tennis, which I was in my very much bubble of home and child and nothing else. So so all this has happened. And I'm like, well, I don't know. You'll have to go right back to the beginning. So and we had a conversation around that, and it was really about was I thinking of of coming back or not and this probably goes to the point before there were no assumptions that were made he was asking look you know you don't have to tell me but what are your plans because there's some things that are happening here that if I know your plans we could help with my decision making here so we had some really good conversations around that but I know that when certainly as a as a mum of of two kids and and a working mum my entire life and, and you're you're a parent as well I found being away from work 
and I know having talked to women subsequently over the course of my career, and certainly the work I do now, it's a really vulnerable time. It's a joyful, exhausting, all that kind of time. But work, for me, work kind of sat there and thinking, oh, what's going to go on? Am I going to miss it? I had FOMO, big, big FOMO. Not that the FOMO was a thing back then, but, you know, but it's quite a vulnerable time. So I really, what I really appreciate about what you've just said is how your boss really stepped in and said, let's have a conversation about what your plans are without putting any pressure on. Did, did that relieve any kind of tension or worry or anxiety for you or what was, you know, what was going on for well, you? I think for me, I had really probably was the opposite for me. It was the first time I'd switched off for a long period of time because I was so on and so in it that for me, it was a really good chance to switch off. But we had a child and we, of course, thought, thought, well, why not build a house at the same time? So we did all of those things. Oh, but of course, you know, know, (laughs) as you do. As you do. It was essentially one of those things that I hadn't really in-depth thought about what was happening coming back, but it made me start to think about that. What it did, though, provide was an opportunity for me to come back on my terms as well. And, you know, there's a bit of toing and froing and negotiation on all that, which which is fine. But, you know, it became a win-win, obviously, for for both the organisation and for myself, both in that current situation. And because I wasn't due to come back for maternity leave for another four or five months. So I was able to have that conversation and, and yeah, I knew what I was coming back to. So that also for me was good because as you said, I had, it was quite clear about what I was coming back to, what my role was and, and how I was able to do that. So it got me in that mindset again to say, okay, I'm here, I'm right. And I felt comfortable with it coming back that it's something that I could manage and I mm. could juggle for want of a better term. So wanting to get really specific with some actionable insights or stuff for leaders to do. So number one, first of all, understanding that at the time of becoming a parent is pretty momentous. I know I, I shouldn't need to say that, but it is. And, you know, for women who have been working for a long time and suddenly you're not working, your identity does shift quite a bit. But I guess... Oh, massively. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, and all of us navigate it in very, very different ways. We're not a homogenous group us women. But my advice to leaders now is have the conversation before she goes on parental leave to say, how would you like to do this? Do you want to stay in contact? Do you not want to stay in contact? Do you want your laptop and your phone or do you want to leave it with us? Do you do you want to come in for keeping in touch days or the odd team meeting or the social functions? Or do you want us to just leave you alone? Really set that expectation up front and, and give her the option of change because like you, you started to build a house. I thought I'd do all sorts of things while I was on parental leave and you know, I was lucky to get into, out of my pyjamas by 4pm most days. But anyway. <laughs> Well, it was a great achievement. A bit like COVID, but and then that return into the workplace, planning it out together, and you know, for you coming back, as you said, on your terms with negotiation, so that the the organisation and you were able to get the best out of each other, which of course is a win win. But what I'm also really so pleased for you and for Tennis Victoria is that you've come back and, and worked flexibly for a number of years, but at a very senior rank. And what we often see now, or don't often see enough of, I should say, is flex working, job sharing, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever way you choose to work flexibly in senior roles. And I always look at, you know, Yahoo employed Marissa Mayer when she was six months pregnant and then, you know, did all sorts of stuff. Now, I know that's a very extreme example, but you're, you're a, a living example of that. 
How has that worked for you and for the organisation? I hope it's worked. That has, you know, my son's eight now, so it's been seven years because obviously I took, took the 12 months off. And, you know, I've, I've managed to have different roles and navigated during that time. So I, I, I suppose my role came back as what we call called special projects, which was mm-hmm. pretty much because I had the breadth of understanding of the organisation across the whole. It was all those wonderful things that we came up with ideas of we could do this or could do that or things that had been on the to-do list for a long time, I was the one that was able to go and action some of those things and bring them to life. So, Mm. or, you know, that test those theories and start to pilot that. So for me, that was, that was great. It was multifaceted work. It allowed me to to speak with lots of different staff at different times. So you weren't Um, just doing the office housekeeping, you were doing significant um, high impact. No. I I I really want to emphasize that, that this wasn't just the odd jobs lying around that we'll get Tam to do. You were. No, there would be a board meeting where a concept might need to be explored and I would go off and create the business case or put all the, the details around it about how it would or wouldn't work. There was some funding that we received around some workforce development stuff. I looked at that and look, essentially my, the special projects role moved by applying for some funding through through Vic Health evolved into my next step within the organisation, which was around the whole what then became the This Girl Can campaign. So we received funding from Vic Health to look at an alternate product that would look at engaging inactive or, or somewhat active women. We were successful in the pitch that myself and the team had put together. And with that, we were able to receive funding and with that staff to, to really explore that concept. So that's where I suppose it went from being a generalist about across everything to really starting to be more specific about women and girls and Mm. and the role that we could play and while this was very specific about a program when that funding finished and we got to a point made a business decision that while we had had some really good gains with that product if we didn't put all the continue to put the level of resources in it just wouldn't happen so we weren't able to to do that from a financial perspective position so unfortunately we we didn't sort of continue with that but my role then evolved into more broadly women and girls um Mm -hmm. and in particular as I said still working with Big Health through the This Girl Can. I think the what's what's coming through to me there is that the organization was nimble enough or agile enough to say to be able to move its organizational design to meet the needs of a bunch of stakeholders yourself included so you know I think I know that we're moving in a lot of industries, a lot of sectors, we're moving into different kinds of, of structures rather than the traditional hierarchical structures, whilst they might you know, still be there. But having that, I guess, the mindset, that, that leadership mindset from the CEO down to say, we have really talented people here. And in your case, we've got a talented woman who's got capability and capacity to deliver on things. And rather than getting, rather than getting stuck on a structure and role titles they said where can you have the most impact and in what way and they measured the outcomes of what you were doing is that is that a fair assumption by me to say yeah and I suppose by the fact that we had funding for it it meant that there was you know I I was able to secure that funding so therefore I was then able to to lead that so I think that was the catalyst the the, the piece of the puzzle that made that easy to happen because Mm -hmm. we also had obligations back to our funders yes it was something that we wanted to address as an organization you know I was probably in the best position to be able to take that on because it was a little bit specialist it wasn't part of our business as usual and so therefore 
the role that I I had was able to to evolve in that sense. And of course, obviously had a lot of lived experiences mm. in that space between product development, project management, all of those sorts of things. So yep. yeah, and, and because of I suppose my experience, I was able to be quite autonomous in that space. Like there was mm. little guidance that was required from the powers that be, so to speak. I was able yep. just to and given that space and that autonomy to get on with the job and obviously the, the results you're pleased with as well. So you made an important point about one of those, you know, the things that we need to do structurally to enable gender equity and also the best use of talented women or talented resources in the organisation, which is funding. So for the funders of programs or the funders of, you know, yeah, of programs, um, particularly around gender equity in sport, and, and we've seen some real success stories in Victoria and at, you know, from a structural level. I mean, you can't go past the Office of Women's Sport and Recreation and some of the mandates they've done there. But certainly Vic Health, I know, have funded a number of roles or part-funded or co-funded roles to start driving better outcomes for women and girls um, in sports. So I think it's another important thing for, you know, if organisational leaders are, are looking at it going, wow, I, I just don't have the resources, I don't have the breadth in, in I can't get someone like that, you know, start looking at your funding models, start looking for, well, I think you're, you're a great case, find someone who knows about funding, get that person in, get her in there, get her to secure funding and she'll pay for herself kind of thing and you'll get the outcome. So having that lateral thinking ability around funding and about how might we do this? We don't don't have to be an island in in this. You know the the the, uh, the movement for, for gender equal sports boards and executives and what have you. There are a whole lot of us out there that we can collaborate with, co-design with, but also co-fund with. That's an unexpected surprise from from our discussion. <laughs> so thanks, Tam. I wonder okay. you do what you do. <laughs> I guess it's a it's a bit of a Captain Obvious question, but I'm interested in your take or your answer or all women's answers. Why is it so important to have women in the industry and particularly women at senior levels in the sporting industry? Oh, gee, all the research shows it, doesn't it? The more diverse and different ways in which we think, it, 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 you get better outcomes. But, you know, and I mean, it's as simple as that, isn't it? The, the more... Otherwise, you get this group think, nothing changes, everyone thinks everything's dead. I was doing some work the other week with Shane Garner and we talked about this concept of artificial harmony where we all just sort of, yep, yep, uh, agree. Yes. Very nice. And I'm like, yeah, yes. yeah, it's like we we need to have some of this disagreement. The yeah, the constructive Correct. conflict. Yep, yep. Correct, to be able to understand because people do have different experiences, points of view, etc. And And I think it's about going into those conversations, not saying, that you're right, you have a perception or a perspective to bring to those conversations for those things to be heard because I think they're really important. You know, you and I have this conversation all the time. I think we spend so much time worrying about the the programs or the products that we're going to throw out there to help women and girls because, you know, they all need help. But we actually don't... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, fixing. But we actually don't spend time on the environments in which they're going to. So for me, I say this all the time, environment and creating the culture around that. So it's no point sending a woman to do whatever course if the environment that she's going to come back into is not going to be conducive to her being able to use those skills that she's yes. just gotten on that course. Well, and, you're gonna, it, it, you know, the continuing programmatic approach to mentoring women or women's mentoring programs, women's leadership programs. And I'm not saying, you know, I do women's leadership programs, but I want to, we, we need a bottom-up 
top-down approach because all you're going to do by doing that is create even more of us who are skilled, talented, ambitious, and frustrated because I was going to say, and they're frustrated. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess in a practical sense, when you have women like yourself in senior positions, you know, you, you shared an example in our earlier interview of the ability because you're relatable to other members of staff and particularly to women, you shared an example of, of times when it's, it's been very, very useful for them to think, to see you, to be able to engage with you, to, to problem solve or whatever it may be. But also, I guess, to say, well, I can see her so I can be her. What you know? Do, do you feel that as a senior woman that you're that role model and I guess that catalyst or lightning rod for, for other women? I hope so, but it's a really hard thing to actually say yes to because yeah, I hope I do, but I don't feel like I could be overt and going, that's, that's what I, I mean, that's not why I, I do it. I do have a genuine passion and interest of working with other women administrators and, you know, in my team, you know, to help them get what it is that they need. And, you know, if they can learn from some of the things that I've been able to learn on the journey and, you know, if that helps them or fast tracks them, but, you know, I suppose when I have those conversations with those those women, it's around, okay, this was my experience. This is how I think we can get, we can leapfrog you over these types of things. Or, or I think if you did this, this is what I found benefited me. So hopefully, and obviously, you know, I don't have the answers to everything, but, you know, for, for them to be able to, to hear my lived experiences, hopefully, you know, when they're sitting there going, oh, is this like, oh, well, yeah, okay, they they can understand that it's, it is what yeah. it is, I suppose, and, and that they're not on their own. Yeah. I this week had another conversation with one of my colleagues um, in America, and she's a, a Somalian woman, African-American, and, and I said to her, a similar question, you know, what do you want to be in terms of being a role model? She said, you know what? I look back, she said, at the younger Amal, and I think I wish I'd had the older Amal. And I look back and I think I wish I'd had, when I was 25 and 30 and 35, in, like you, male-dominated environments, which I didn't have an issue with, but I also didn't know who to talk to about stuff. Like I, I had to mask a lot of stuff, like juggling my kids and a messy divorce and just crap. And I'm going, well, I don't have peers here who have my lived experience. I don't really have anyone I can look up to that... So, okay, I'll just battle through on my own. But the truth was there probably were women, but mm. I suppose that's the you are that person, you are that that you are because you're in a senior role and you've done you've done life and leadership differently to perhaps the traditional way. And so there will be women looking at you going, She's gonna get what's going on for me. I'm gonna gonna talk to her, I'm gonna get her advice. So it is it is our lovely burden of responsibility, right? Oh, most definitely. And and I, I really love having those those conversations too you know it, it, what worked for me mightn't work for others but if yeah. it does help them to at least think of a different way to tackle an issue or they hadn't thought of a, a way around something then you know if that inspires them or, or gives them that sort of problem solving that perhaps they hadn't thought of then great I'm more than happy to share that I think you know, that, that's the one thing that I think women are very good at is that they are happy and, and giving for that sort of experience and to talk through not just the practicalities of it, but how they felt through that process, because that's important too. It's not just, you know, black and white and, and no. you know, there, there are emotions that go with that. And it's okay to acknowledge that. 
Um, so I think that's a really interesting part as well, that it's okay to feel anxious. It's okay to feel mm. angry. It's okay to feel upset. Yes, you deal with it at that point in time, but it's like, okay, what have we learned from that? And to use it, to use a Carol Fox term, what's the gift yeah. that, that's gift? And yeah. how can I take that and flip it on its head and really make it a positive and, and run with that? You know, Tam, I'm just thinking about yourself and, and Carol Fox and this, this wonderful network of women in sport that I am Um, thankfully a part of because Carol brought me into it I think about how supportive that is for me and know I know the people I can I can reach out to including yourself we have this informal network we have an informal board of directors and I think that it's a really important point to emphasize and I know we're going way off script here but it's a really important point because men have had informal networks and informal mentors since business was invented which women have traditionally been locked out of because of gendered expectations about work and the role they play in society and things like that. So, and those informal networks that, that men often have and still have the bike riding crews in the morning at 5.30 in the morning. God forbid I wouldn't want to do that anyway. The footy <laughs> days, the golf days, the um, pub after work. I mean, look, I, I'm a, I love the pub after work, but I've got to tell you when, when my kids were Thomas's age, I was trying to get to date or after school care and not do the walk of shame. So there's no way I could get, go to the pub after work. But that's where a lot of business is done. There's where a lot of good strategic conversation happens. So I think it's really important that we do have women like yourself and Carol and Margaret, lots of us who are saying, here's our network and you must tap into it because we can share our experiences. And yeah, it's um, like you, I, I often share the stuff that I got horribly wrong because I go, okay, so this is what I did. Do not do that. You know, <laughs> it's such an important part, but we, we want to level the playing field by, for those women and coming after us by being visible. And, and the point I'm trying to make here is, yes, I think we're doing the right thing, but for employers and for leaders, we've got to get you know, get your women visible. Yes. It is, you know, we all want to leave, a, well, I would hope that as leaders we all want to leave a legacy. Is the organisation, is my industry better as a result of me being in it? And part of that is saying, how do I showcase the female role models and also open up access to them for the, the other women coming after them and the girls to say, just like you did at the start of your career or before you started your career, oh, I can see her, that's what I want to be. Mm. So we want more of that. So it's so important, isn't it? Very, very much so. And, and I think it's our obligation to to grow that network because I know what I've been in the industry for 25 odd years now and those things it, it was very much just your work and then it started to filter out into okay I would, I would meet with others within the industry and you know it, that that took a lot of time to have that I got asked to be on a, a couple of different this is where Emma Sherry and I first probably really met was around the Vic Sport Women and Girls Advisory Committee which then ultimately became the report, I suppose, yeah. the, the, that group that, that, that came up with the report. But, you know, those opportunities and and I think the thing was I waited to be, t- I was tapped on the shoulder for those things. Yeah. And I think that for women is, is very important, particularly when you're not quite sure of where your space is and, and am I really at that level or is this yeah. something I should be going for? Like I've been, some of the things that I've done have all been started with that nudge, you know, that yes. you should apply for the CEO's role. Yeah, you have 
the person yes. earlier and just say, I want you to go for it. Go yeah, for it. Girl. Have, yeah, go. Yeah. 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 Can you be on this committee? Will you do yeah. that? And so when you get asked a couple of times, by the third or fourth time when the opportunity comes up and you have to apply, you're more likely to apply. So you do. Yeah. So the call to action there is, so I think there's two and it's, it, it reminds me of a conversation I had just yesterday with Karen Pierce from Football Victoria, yes. which was because we were talking about how important networks are. Mm. And, and one of the various reasons why I do what I do was when I was still in, in the corporate world, I'd go to functions and lunches and I'd go, well, why aren't these young women networking? And I did. I asked a few of them. They said, oh, it's a bit yuck. And you know, a bit, I'm going, seriously, it's such an important part for a business person to, to you've got to learn this. So yes. number one, learning the importance of building your networks across your industry. But I think for leaders, this is actually about leadership. This is not about fixing women. But so for leaders, we want you to support your women of all career stages by giving them access to networks because they're going to get access to role models like yourself, like Carol, like Margot, like Karen, you know, all those. They're going to get access to those networks. But we want you to make the space in their job to do that because networking is working and being part of those networks. I mean, look at the richness your experience brings to your role. So because of your networks and because of the space that's been given to you, you're on the board of Women's Sport Australia, you contribute to industry body, you contribute to the deeper thinking um, of the industry in your extracurricular work. A couple of di- different things. Make the space for network. Emphasise the importance of networking to, to women employees, but also support them. Get them to go along to the conferences, the lunches, the events, the whatever, and get them strategic mentors who like you, Tam, who can show them the ropes and share those those lived experiences. Yeah, and, and if you see an opportunity and you think that like let people know about it, reinforce yes, to them yes. that they this is something that they can do. I think it's just every now and again it's that little bit of nudging where someone says to you, No, you can and you go, Okay, I will. Yes. And so you do. And I think that's the that also really helps because the more you get nudged, mm. the more it becomes easier to be proactive in that space down the track and mm. you will put yourself out there more because you've had a positive experience. Absolutely. And we know from research that that women will wait until they're you know, 20 out of 10 qualified for the role. Um, they will, but they wait to be invited. Now, I'm being grossly general here because not all women, not all men. No. That's the caveat. But we know research tells us that women want their good work to shine, which means for leaders, when I hear, oh, I just can't find any good women, I say, you actually, you actually have to go and find them. Don't put an ad up and expect women to flock to it because they will be analysing it. We want you to be a really good sponsor of women. So like people who sponsored you into roles, people have sponsored me into roles. Not just you two should connect. Tam, I want you to meet Michelle because she's qualified for the job that you're about to vacate. I'd like you to support her application. Let's have a conversation, blah, blah, blah. That's good sponsorship. So yeah, there's there's all sorts of ways, but invite women in. Keep tapping them on, as you said, nudge, nudge, nudge. And sometimes you have to have those courageous conversations which is, Tam, if you keep saying no, we're going to stop asking. So step up. And, of course, as you would know, going through a process, whether it be for an executive role, a board, a committee, whatever it may be, even if you're not successful, it gives you great experience and, of course, opens up even more networks, people who know who you are and what you bring. 
Oh, most most definitely. And, you know, I, I've been really lucky throughout my journey with the, the, the people that I've met, you know, and, and and what that has offered me. And I think the other piece of, of advice that I've sort of said to some of, of my staff as well is, is don't think that all your professional development and all your growth is going to come from within the organisation. It's what, how can you leverage that outside of the organization and outside of what you do what what else is your passion piece how is that going to give you some of those extra skills or extra credentials that you you mightn't get in your job and and I I would argue that for myself the majority of my professional growth has been outside of of tennis you know you know doing the work with Carol set, yeah. stepping up on the the board of women's sport Australia and getting the I got to change our game scholarship to do the AICD foundations course and that for me was like probably the best piece of professional development I've done in a very long time I more I think that same as you I did my company directors course as part of an executive development program and uh, along with my MBA just brilliant brilliant yeah and so I think they're the things but then you bring that information back to the organization and you bring those perspectives as you said those networks and those understandings so that you can say okay well this is not how we do it in our sport but did you know that over here they do it this way and over here they do it that way can we take the best of all of those things Mm. and you know mold it to to benefit us and I think for a lot of times uh, it's probably to some of my to me if I looked back and gave myself advice it'd be to to look outside the organisation that you're working in a lot more than you do because you spend so much time working in it, you know, and, and as I said, my Ian Clark, who was the one that, that pushed me to, to do that, he used to always say, Tam, you need to spend more time working on the business, on the not business. in the business. Yeah. And he used to say that to me all the time. It really started to, to resonate. So, Well, I, I think Ian Clark's been a very, very good mentor to you because that, that is terrific advice and it's strategic, yeah. uh, strategic career advice. Tam, I could keep talking about this I know. all day, um, <laughs> which, of course, we can't. That's why we'll be recording the longest video in history. But anyway, I want to finish on one call to action from you. So what do we need to do right now? What do you want leaders to do? If they were just going to do one thing, what would it be right now to level the playing field and achieve gender equality in sport? They need to ask. They need to come. They need to ask questions and they need to listen and they need to come from a position of being an ally, not as a champion. Oh, I like that, Alan. And why do you say that? The whole male champions of change thing has always just, it's been something that used to always grate on me about that. And I finally worked it out of a lot of the work that I've been doing more broadly around gender equality within tennis and some of the work that we've been doing. And it's this thing of as soon as you say you're a champion, means you're better than me you're ahead of me I'm still above you you're underneath me no that just continues to just reinforce the, the, the stereotype of it's you know we're here and you're there and, and we're helping all of you as opposed yeah. to really understanding you know the lived experiences and what that's going to be and you know that term ally for me is I can only go by what my experiences are I can use potentially my position of privilege to help others and Mm -hmm. understand them and, and help to bring them you know along for the journey and give them the exposure and all those things that that they need I can't say that I know what they're thinking or feeling that's that's their lived experience so I think my one thing would be ask women bring them into the conversation don't assume for all for lots of different reasons and they need to be around the table when you're having those discussions you know no discussions about them unless they're with you 
and, and really, really appreciate you explaining Champion versus Ally. And we are, again, it's a little bit of a mutual love thing going on here, but again, we're on the same page because I agree. So, so, so important. And what have we heard about today? We have heard that you were inspired by a woman right from the beginning of your career, that you've been given space and spaces have been made for you to do life, to integrate life and leadership and making an impact for your sport. You've demonstrated that you are a senior woman in sport who has always, well, for eight years, worked flexibly and you integrate working flexibly with contributing back to the community and sport more generally because of your board positions. And you bring that stuff back into your workplace and Tennis Victoria is the better for it. You've talked about how structural uh, reform, particularly around funders and collaborating rather than competing. So working out how we can make that funding can really drive gender Mm. equality. We've talked about visible role models as well as women having access to those visible role models, employers and leaders helping women in their organisation get access to the the networks of of women, seeing women like yourself and others that can be great mentors. But we've also talked about how you want those leaders to invite women in, give them the nudge, give them the push to to apply for the roles, the, the jobs, the committees, the boards, just like you've been given a nudge. And then, of course, you've given us the great advice about be an ally, not a champion. Ask us. Please ask women questions, listen to their answers, and then make sure that you're inviting women to the table. Tam Harding, thank you so much. I, I know that there will be leaders in our industry, and, and more broadly, because this is, this is about workplaces, that will look at you, come to you, connect with you, as they rightly should as a leader in the space and one who is going to, with all of us, level the playing field for women in sports. So, Tam, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much for having me. And, look, we have come a long way. There has been some big changes over the time, but there still, as you know, is a way to go. So thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that you can gain a lot of insights and, importantly, take action wherever you may work in sport. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating. It really helps to spread the word. And of course, please do share this episode with your friends, with your colleagues and with your network of people in sport, because together we can close the leadership gender gap.